0: Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 178. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. Happy Thanksgiving week, y'all. I just want you to know how incredibly grateful I am for each and every one of you. It's been such a wild and exciting year, and 2020 is shaping up to be one of our best yet. So, I just want to take a moment to open today's show with a moment of gratitude because I could not do this work without you spending your most precious resource, really your time as a part of this community, as a listener, as someone who not only listens to the podcast, but weighs in and helps us determine what we're going to talk about next. Today's show is one of those shows that was really requested by you, this community, which is what I love about this work. I'm so excited to be answering a career conundrum that came up in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook when someone asked about navigating the transition from the nonprofit sector to the for-profit sector for the very first time midway through her career. And it really got sort of a pile on going in the courage community when, when this question was asked, because folks said, yeah, what about going from the government sector to the for-profit or from the B Corp sector to the for-profit sector and from the for-profit to the nonprofit for the first time. So today's very brilliant guest is going to share with us her experience navigating many different sectors and navigating the transition between them all. She's also a very incredible speaker and published author. With a best-selling book out right now, and she's just gonna, you know, knock your socks off. She's a really badass woman who. I was fortunate to meet through a professional public speaker network that I'm a part of and I'm so excited to have crossed paths with her. But before I dive in, I want to say a special thanks to each and every one of you who weighed in in our community survey this year. We had more respondents than ever before and I thought I would share that our wonderful giveaway winner, Stephanie, chose the best gift card and the best uh charitable contribution for us to make on her behalf. She's a boss after my own heart. She chose a $100 gift card as her her win for Target, which I was like, yes, I feel you. And then she requested that her $100 charitable contribution that we made in her name be made to Planned Parenthood. So I was so thrilled to make that happen. Congrats again, Stephanie, for winning the survey giveaway. And thanks again to over 500 of you who weighed in on our survey. That was so amazing. The team here and I are now sifting through all of your responses to make sure that all the new products and services and offerings that we're rolling out in the new year directly meet your needs. So I can't tell you how timely your responses are and how appreciated they are as we dive into a very intensive new product development phase here at Bossed Up. Now, I'm excited to tell you more about those things, but I wanted to share that in the meantime, to really focus on new product development, throughout the month of December, we'll be playing the best of episodes of Bossed Up. So instead of a brand new episode, you'll be getting the best of the best in your earbuds two days a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays throughout the month of December, so don't worry, you'll be hearing more updates and newsy items from me at the top and the bottom of those episodes, but keep an eye out for what have been the most popular, most downloaded, most appreciated episodes ever. They're coming your way all throughout the month of December. And my final big exciting announcement is for any of you listening who are living in or near Chicago, Indianapolis, Toronto, I know y'all in Toronto have been dying to make this happen. So listen up. Boston, San Francisco, or New York City. I am thrilled to be featured as a speaker at the ELS Forum, the Executive Leadership Support, which is a very awesome two day training program for executive assistants in particular and EA professionals of all kinds. So if you are an EA or know someone who is, who's looking for a phenomenal professional development opportunity, know that I will be one of many featured speakers at the ELS forums in those cities in the coming months starting with Chicago, January 15 and 16, and Indianapolis on January 29 and 30. I'll be heading to all the other cities I mentioned later on in the year too, and I'll remind you before they come up, but I wanted to make sure that you or anyone who you know who's an EA looking for professional development can get in on this incredible opportunity, and I'd love to see you there. To learn more, head to ELS Forum. That's ELS for Executive Leadership Support forumcom slash events to learn more about all the cities they're visiting this coming year and to register and reserve your spot right now. All right, enough from me. Let's jump into today's interview with this Washington Post best-selling author and motivational keynote speaker, Laura Gassner Auding. She inspires people to push past the doubt and indecision that keep great ideas in limbo, because her presentations make listeners think bigger and accept greater challenges that reach beyond their limited scope of belief. She's the author of two phenomenal books, Mission Driven, Moving from Profit to Purpose, and the latest best-selling book of hers, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. Laura, thanks so much for joining me on the Bossed Up podcast today. It is great to be here, Emily. Thanks for having me. And I have to say it was a delight to meet up with you recently in Boston, your neck of the woods, when I was up there for a talk. And I feel so fortunate to be in a community full of amazing speakers and authors like yourself, where we can connect and share best practices. So thank you for your, um, for your time and for your personal sort of mentorship that you've
1: been giving me already. No, well, thank you. You know, I think it's super fun because in this crazy career that we have of writing and speaking, we don't really necessarily have colleagues, but then we're all friends in this, you know, amazing Facebook group. And so we see each other all day long. But then to actually get to meet people in person, it's like, oh, my friend, I've known you (laughs) forever, but I've never met you. And it's like, it's just great to not be alone in this entrepreneurial endeavor. Totally, totally. And I want to get to
0: that in a moment. First, tell me a little bit about the transitions you've made over the years along your
1: career path. So I think I'm on my third or maybe fourth reinvention at this point. (laughs) I dropped out of law school to join a presidential campaign because I heard this governor, this unknown governor from this tiny state of Arkansas talking about this idea of service in exchange for college tuition. And I thought, oh my God, that's the smartest thing ever that needs to happen. And so I dropped out of law school and joined Bill Clinton's presidential campaign. And I ended up in the Clinton White House as a presidential appointee helping create AmeriCorps. Amazing. In which a, a million young people have served now in exchange, you know, to change their community while they change themselves in exchange for, you know, college tuition. And which um, should give hope to all law school dropouts everywhere. <laughs> exactly. You know, like I had this idea that I was gonna run for Senate, I was gonna be the person to solve all the problems. You know, the TEDx talk I gave talks about this. And mm-hmm. I, I really thought that I was gonna be the one. And so I did that. and. As after four years of being, you know, like the young and hungry, the best and brightest, you know, the, like the, the young people, you know, in in, in Camelot Part Two, <laughs> I went to my then boss, and and he was very much a father figure and a mentor to me. And I said, "Okay, I'm ready to get back out on the campaign trail again." You know, nine, the '96 campaign is is up and coming. Let's go. Right. And he looked at me in the way that only a father figure type mentor could, and he said, "Well, you know, Laura, you're 26 now." And you're really kind of too old to get back on a campaign bus and eat cold pizza and sleep in the high school gymnasium floors. Mm. And you're kind of too young to be the domestic policy advisor. So go talk to my friend Arnie Miller. He runs the biggest search firm in the country that does specifically nonprofit work. He'll find you a job at a nonprofit. You'll do that for four years. And then you'll come back and do something big on the Gore campaign, on Al Gore's campaign. And I said, that makes a ton of sense. I'll go do that.
0: I want to pause right there just to add that I have a sort of father figure mentor also in the campaign space who had a similar chat with me once after my years on the Obama campaign. And he said, well, Emily, you're no spring chicken. <laughs> and at 26, like, how do you take that feeling of not being 22? Like, 26 is not old, right? For, but in the campaign sense, it can be.
1: Yeah, it's not old, but like if somebody, if you see a 26-year-old walking down the hall of a campaign office, you're not thinking, oh, good, I can send them out to grab the pizzas. Right. Or you're thinking, oh, great, this person wants a real job. They actually want to talk about <laughs> policy. Right. Shoot, now what do I do? So you're sort of like in that in-betwixt space because you're not old enough to be taken seriously, but you're not young enough that you'll just do anything. Sure. And so, you know, I, I sat down with Arnie. A couple of days later, and he was like, "Ah, oh, you don't want to go work in the nonprofit sector. You want to work for me. I'll teach you everything you need to know." And I found out that his that they're based in Boston, and the 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 guy I was dating, who I've now been married to for twenty. 20- two years, was about to, you know, move to Boston to pursue a PhD. And I was like, great, I'll take the job. What do you do? And I learned about this amazing thing called executive recruiting. And Mm. so I became a headhunter and I spent four years doing executive recruiting for the most amazing organizations that weave together the civic fabric of of our world. And I learned about leadership. I learned about what makes people tick. I learned about organizations and massive amounts of tectonic shift transition and people that were in similar transitions. Right. But I spent spent four years there in this sort of very traditional, like run by like the old white guys kind of thing. And I sort of felt like I don't necessarily see my future here. Mm. And I had this idea to do the work differently, you know, better, faster, smarter, more authenticity, more integrity, and more profits, frankly, than they were doing it there. And then I got passed over for a promotion Mm -hmm. that I deeply deserved. And I walked into my boss's office and I was like, Arnie, I think we should be doing this work differently. And by the way, what's my future here? Because last week you were promising me one, and suddenly this week you're bringing in one of your like, old friends who's never done search, but who's been around for like 107 years. Yeah. What's my future? And I walked back in on Monday morning and he was like, I want to make you a vice president. We're going to think about doing things your way. Let's do all this stuff. So fast forward six months, he made me a vice president. I was selling all of, you know, my own work, but he still hadn't onboarded the you know, anything that I was like, I think we could do this work better. And right. so I just kind of had this moment of rage where I was like, you know what, I'm going to go it's time. You know, I think there are very few moments in your career where you hold all the cards Mm. and even fewer when you realize that you do. And that was a moment where I'm like, I could leave right now with a vice president title from this marquee firm and I could start my own thing doing this work better. And so I became an entrepreneur, this crazy thing.
0: I want to ask you about the sense of being able to make a big pivot like that for a moment because I hear from women who are considering making a change, who feel a a deep sense of loyalty as though it is a huge betrayal to do what you're describing. And I'm, for one, I'm always about, you know, well, this is business. And if there's a better way to do things, let's not let anyone stop you from trying that. But what would you say to folks who are like, "Ooh, I could never do that. I, You know, I I have such a sense of loyalty or I wouldn't want to offend or burn bridges in
1: making that kind of a move. Well, so my new book, Limitless, is actually dedicated to Arnie. So I want to preface this by saying that he and I have an incredible, wonderful Mm. relationship. Mm -hmm. The man was at my wedding, right? We have an amazing relationship. That said, when I walked into his office and I told him I was leaving, he said to me, and this is almost verbatim, I think that you need to go into the bathroom and look in the mirror and decide Mm. if the person who's looking back at you is the person you can live with.
0: Mm. That's
1: real. And so I went to the bathroom and I just started bawling because I felt terrible. But also, you know, I knew that there were things that I wanted to do that I was not going to be able to do under his roof. And number one, the graveyard is filled with indispensable people. So to all of your women who are listening, who are like, I can't leave, what's going to happen? you're not that important. They will replace you. There was somebody there before you. There'll be someone there after you. And if there's a project that only you are the one who is shepherding through and nobody else can do it, it's probably not that important to your company or they would have backed you up, right? So Mm. that's the first thing. The graveyard is filled with indispensable people. You're not that important. They will survive. It's okay. Totally. You don't have to be the only one who keeps everything, all the lights on. That's number one. Number two, If I stayed at that company, I would not be able to show up as the very best version of myself. And I realized one day that if having more money, more time, more flexibility, more resources, more access, more ability, more leverage, more of all those things that I wanted allowed me to show up better for the people I loved and the causes I held dear, then it wasn't my ambition. It was my responsibility. So if I was going to feel responsible to anything, it wasn't going to be towards the boss who you know, frankly, I was just a line on the P&L at the end of the day. Right. It was going to be towards myself and those people that I loved and the causes that I held dear. So for all the women who are feeling like, oh, I feel so responsible. I can't do this. I can't do that. Think about who you're actually responsible to and what you're actually responsible to. And if you figure out that, what it is that you want to actually accomplish in the world, then the most efficient and expedient pathway becomes clear. And it may be yeah. working for someone else, but it also may be leaving and doing the thing on your own.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I call this concept or or something related to it, the martyrdom mindset, you know, not letting it hold you back if you feel like, oh, I have to suffer for the sake of something better, for the sake of something, you know, bigger than me. And in (laughs) fact, like you're saying, Giving myself more, pursuing my ambitions, giving myself the opportunity to have more flexibility, time, money, what have you, can in fact allow you to show up and deliver your purpose or
1: act on your purpose in a more authentic but also sustainable way. For sure, and you know, look, I started my company when I was like 11 months pregnant with my first child. Which, by no the way, way, pro tip: don't do that. <laughs> that Holy was, mackerel! That was, Really difficult, yeah. But you know, I, I sat down with somebody when my kids were like four and six years old, and she, you know, said, this is a woman who has been exceptionally successful in her career, and she said, "I don't understand what the, I was. I was like bemoaning my, you know, lot in life and you know how hard everything was." And she's like, "I don't understand what the problem is. You have a successful business, you have a happy marriage, you have two healthy, beautiful children. Sure. What's the problem?" And I said, you know, I yell at my kids too much. And so she asked me to kind of describe what our day was like. And so I sat there, you know, there's no other term to describe it other than bragging about how I can be all things to all people. I can pick my kids up from school every day and I can bring them to the playground. And, and then I held up my, you know, at the time it was like a palm trio or something. I'll tell you how long ago <laughs> the story was. Yeah. And I said, and because of this device, I can be in the office still. And she just looked at me and she was like, all right, so you're not fully in the office and you're not fully in the playground. You're kind mm-hmm. of not anywhere. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, you're just not that important. Why do you think you're so important? You're just not that important. Damn. She said, what would happen if you put your phone in the trunk of your car for an hour and you took your kids out for ice cream at the end of the day? What would happen? And I was like, I, 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 I don't know what would happen. But it turns out that if somebody else cuts the carrots for my kids' lunches, they still don't eat them. <laughs> it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> right. Right? Like, I, like, Where am I that important? I found for me, it was very difficult to say no to things because I firmly believe that there's an adventure around every corner if you just look hard enough. So for me, I never want to say no. That Mm. made me feel bad. But what I found was that if I figured out ways to say yes better, then it was awesome. And when I was saying yes to all the things, there was no room for the stuff I needed to say no to. So I think to myself... If there's something that's coming at me, will this thing help me, right? It's Machiavellian is all get out, but you got to start somewhere, right? Sure. So do I see myself on the other side of this project, this business, this opportunity, this sucker punch of a bake sale chairmanship ask, whatever the thing is, do I see myself getting any closer to my goals, right? Will this help me? Number one. Number two, will it help someone else? Is there a clear line of sight that I know that if I do this thing, I will help someone or Mm. something that I care about? Then fine. Great. Number three, will it cause me joy? Mm. Right. I mean, whatever. That's like, let's Marie Kondo the shit out of this stuff. Right, right, right. right. If it's not going to help me and it's not going to help someone else, will it cause me joy? And if it's going to cause me joy, then absolutely 100% of the time I'm going to do it. But then the fourth question, I think the most important one is, is there someone who is better or closer to you know, the solution that should be doing this instead of me? Am I the right person for the job? And if I'm right. not the right person for the job, then just because I'm walking out of school that day and somebody comes running up to me like, oh my God, the chairman of the bake sale just like had a family emergency. Can you take over? By the way, it's tomorrow. And I think to myself, well, part of what I want to do is I want to spend more quality time with my children That's not good. I I think oh I'll do the bake sale. Great, but then I'm not actually spending any time with them, right? Right. Like for me, I'd say actually I'm not able to do that, but I can bake more cupcakes this afternoon with my children at home, so we can bring in extra, right? Right? Then I can help out and right. So I'm not the one. And I think in all of the things that we do in all the parts of our lives, whatever those things are that are pulling at us, if we figure out how to say yes better to things, then we can say no to other stuff, and it makes us feel less guilty, so that we don't have that martyrdom feeling going on.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and I I talk a lot about saying no, it's actually the topic of my TEDx talk, the power of no, and it is a lot easier said than done, right? It's just a hard thing to draw because I feel like inevitably we all push our own boundaries in order to recognize, oh, wow, it's time to reset those boundaries. So it's very rare that we get clear on our boundaries or get clear on the career shift you want to make until you're dissatisfied in some way. Like you have well, to almost sure. hit your breaking point to make change happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, nobody makes change from a place of comfort, right? right. Like you're not <laughs> gonna get off like I mean, like if, yeah. I'm, if I'm sitting on the couch on Sunday and I'm watching football and I'm, you know, got like a pile of popcorn on my lap or, you know, on my shirt, yeah. <laughs> that's case maybe. I'm not gonna get up unless I have to go pee. Like right. you, don't get up, you don't make a change from a place of comfort. You make a place change from a place of discomfort. Totally. But that's okay. Like you're yeah. still getting the same learning and growth. I mean, I wrote Limitless because I found myself in multiple career shifts being uncomfortable. So, you know, I founded, I left that big executive search room. I founded my own firm. I ran it for 15 years and then i sold it to my people which Amazing. you know as an entrepreneur is like a really big hard thing but i got to the 10 year point of running it and i was like you know what this isn't fun anymore i haven't learned anything new in a long time we founded this firm to be this like iconoclastic change the industry change the whole sector thinking about how executive search could be done And we did that now. and We spawned tons of competition. And even though we're still better than them, the sector knows that this is the way that we should be doing it. So like, you know, I talked to a friend and I said, I'm just sick of pitching. And he said, it's not that you're sick of pitching. You're sick of winning. Like it's not that hard for you anymore. And <laughs> I realized that at the ten-year mark, I wasn't doing that much homework yeah. on potential clients. I wasn't preparing them. I was just going in and just winging it. And frankly, that's malpractice. And that just—it yeah. was not fair to my people. It was not fair to our clients. And we were doing amazing work for them once we landed them. But I didn't have to work that hard to land them anymore. And so right. I turned to my business partner. I was like, I need a change. Like I'm now uncomfortable. I need a change. So I sold that to my people, and I created this new speaking and writing that's really based on this book limitless which i think gives the framework for people to help understand how do i make those decisions right and it's based around this idea that we spend all of our lives pursuing this this notion of success that's been given us by somebody else right, right. all the check boxes along all the right path to like the right school the right job the right you know spouse the right clothes and the right size and all that bullshit and then we turn around one day and we go okay so on paper my life looks great. So, why doesn't it feel great? And right. the answer is because it looks great for someone else, but not necessarily you. And so, Limitless is written around this idea that the what you are has to match the who you are. And when those things are in consonance, you're actually pretty damn happy. I want to hear more about the term consonance because
0: I've, I've heard you speak on this before and I think it's helpful in clarifying what you're describing in the book, Limitless. So, what does consonance mean?
1: So, Emily, you've had those feelings where, and I know that you've had this because you've had like the organ rejection job, right? Where then you've like gone and you've started your own thing and you're like, yes, this is it. You know, those moments when like the, very best of what you do is being called upon to solve a problem that you care about, and you're being rewarded for it in some way, whether it's psychically or financially. That is actually meaningful to you, right? You know those moments you're in alignment, you're in flow, you're in harmony, right? Consonance. I say that word, and people are like, "What?" They think they haven't heard it before, but we've all heard dissonance, right? right Cacophony. Right. We've heard like when things don't get along. Consonance is just. The reflection of dissonance. If you are in alignment and you are in flow, everything is moving forward together. And consonance, I found in 20 years of interviewing all of these leaders that came from nonprofits, for profits, government sectors, philanthropy, education, everything. The people who were successful and happy had consonance. Right. And consonance is made up of four things. The first is calling, calling is something that's bigger than you, it's this gravitational force something that you care about more than anything else. And it could be a business you want to start. It could be a problem you want to solve. It could be a societal ill you wish to address. It could be a family you want to nurture, right? It's just, it doesn't have to be this like big, lofty, higher purpose cause. It just has to be your purpose. That's it. So like if your purpose is buying a Maserati and a beach house, awesome. (laughs) Like I'm not here to purpose shame you. Everybody has a calling. I always think of it as like an itch you have to scratch. It's an itch. Exactly. It's an itch you have to scratch. It it is the thing where you're like, if I could do anything, boy, that's what I want to do. Like, that's where I want to spend my time. That's the first. The second is connection. And connection answers the question of what would happen if you called into work sick tomorrow? Like, would anybody notice? Would anybody care? And so, connection is do you have sight lines into how the work you're doing on a daily basis? actually helps you to scratch that itch, to achieve that calling. And it's not just like, can I get to inbox zero? It's not like, (laughs) what's on my calendar for the day? What's on my to-do list? And at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I got to inbox zero, but I didn't do like the three things that are actually going to help me write my next book today. So like I answered everyone else's problems, but I didn't answer my own. So like, if you feel like, like, I don't think that we're exhausted because we're too busy. I think we're exhausted because we're too busy doing things we don't Want to do that, we don't care about. Like the emotional labor it takes to do stuff you don't care about is like 10x whatever it is. So, like, what's your calling? And then look at your calendar, your to do list, your inbox, all the stuff you spend your time on. And do they match? Probably not. right? Right, Right. So, what's your connection? The third piece is contribution. And contribution is where I get to talk about ambition because your job, your paycheck, the brand of the company for which you work should mean something to you it should contribute something to your life it should either give you the kind of money that allows you to have the lifestyle you want it should give you the flexibility to have you know the life that you're looking for it should allow you to manifest your values on a daily basis it should allow you to have the kind of career trajectory you want like it should bring something to your life it should contribute in some way totally And then the last piece is control. And control really is just your personal agency. How much personal control do you have over the amount of connection your work has to your calling and the amount of contribution that it brings to your life? And each one of us, at every age and at every stage of our life are going to want each of the four of these things, calling, connection, contribution, and control differently. So when I was 21 years old and happily walking down the halls of Little Rock, Arkansas campaign office carrying you know, 400 cups of coffee for right. the guy who got the coffee, for the guy who got the coffee, I had absolutely no connection whatsoever. But boy, did I have calling and contribution in spades. Right. Totally. Now totally. I'm older, and I need to have a ton of control because those kids I mentioned earlier are 15 and 17, and they don't need me except when they need me. Yeah, I better be there, right? So I have to have control over what I say yes to and whether or not it's you know worth enough to get man an airplane to go travel somewhere. And frankly,
0: from all the research and work I've done on the field of burnout and gender. Agency is one of the biggest antidotes to burnout. Like it's one thing to work your ass off, but it's another thing to work your ass off on your own sort of schedule versus based off of someone else's whims as to where you need to be and when you need to be there. So agency Absolutely. and control are so high on my list of things that help prevent burnout.
1: There are studies that show that people are more interested in taking jobs where they have more control than jobs where they have more power. Totally. Totally. I agree. That's fascinating to me because I think, you know, we all want to feel like we're not being thrown around on somebody else's roller coaster. It is a really unnerving thing to not be in control of your own life, your own destiny, how much your hustle returns to your bank account. You know, like the reason I left that big firm was not because we weren't doing the greatest work ever and I wasn't meeting the greatest people in the world. It was because I clearly had no control over my career trajectory Mm. and I didn't care if it was slow. I wanted it to be fast. I didn't care if it was slow. I just wanted to know that when I did the work that I did and checked the boxes that they needed me to check, that it was actually going to result in something. And then when it didn't, I went, well, if that's not happening, then how can I trust it? Based off of the
0: lessons in your new book, Limitless, and your first book, Mission Driven, which really focuses on the nonprofit sector, and having the personal experience of moving from the White House to executive search in the nonprofit arena. To running and then selling your own business, what advice do you have for people who are craving a career change in a fully different industry? Like, how would you think about navigating that?
1: I would say that I think that we spend a lot of time saying, "But I'm just right," "But I'm just in the nonprofit sector," "But I'm just in the education space," "But I'm just." Now, anybody who's in the nonprofit or education and philanthropic or government space will say, "I also." Am able to do so much more with so many fewer resources and so much more bureaucracy than anybody working in a corporate space, right? So we know, (laughs) we know that we're actually pretty awesome. It's like a superpower.
0: I used to say, it's a superpower. You know, my campaign experience little did I know, was the best entrepreneur training because you learn how to make something out of nothing.
1: <laughs> For sure. I mean, I have young people today who complain to me on campaigns about how hard it is to like deal <laughs> with the logistics. And I'm like, you have a supercomputer in your hands. Yeah. We had like campfires and smoke signals. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe there was a walkie talkie, like for every 50 people, oh. like if you were really important and you know, like 23 and not 22, <laughs> we were able to make magic happen. So that's number one, right? Sure. Like, I, like you, we have to own the fact that it's, that it's pretty amazing work experience. Number two, we have to remember that it's just a tax silo. That's it. It is a tax identification, mm-hmm. for-profit, nonprofit, C corp, whatever it is, it's just a tax identification number. It's still a business, a for-profit business, a nonprofit business. They each have to, you know, show some profit at the end of the year. We yeah. just One of them we call profit and shareholder, you know, value and returns. And the other one we call a reserve, right? Like we just call them yeah. different things. So I think it's important to know that it's really just a tax question. So then the question is, all right, well, if I have a resume and the first line of my resume is you know, government, whatever, or university of, or, you know, association, nonprofit, aren't people going to just look at me and think, oh, she's just a. Mm. So here's what I would say. I would say take the first third of your resume and get rid of that like mission statement right? Your like mission statement that says to find a compelling job in an organization with people who like to, you know, have fun while they work. Who cares, right? Number one, (laughs) it's repetitive at best, right? And number two, you're probably getting it wrong because the organization is going to be like, well, we're not really that fun of a workspace. You probably won't want to work here. And then they don't look at you. So (laughs) the whole purpose of the resume is to get the job for which you've just applied. So you don't actually need to put anything there. So get rid of that and then take the whole first third of the first page and think about what your skill sets are. Right. So if your skills are project management or sales, right? What do we call fundraising? Right. What do we call, you know, stewardship? What it's the same stuff. You're researching, you're stewarding, you're making the ask, you're doing the follow-up. That's called fundraising. Right. Or it's called sales. It's the same skill set. So think about yourself in terms of skill set. And then I would have maybe four maybe five, but don't go anymore of like, what are your top skills that you bring? Not just from the job you have right now, but from the career you've had to date and then bring them together. So if one job you raised, you know, $500,000 and the other job, you raised $500,000. And in this last job, you raised a million, your relationship and stewarding skill Mm. is something like raised $2 million from big gifts, you know, events and direct mail right? So you're bringing it all together in a way where somebody can just look at your first third and they can see the way that you're spoon feeding to them the identity that you want them to read rather than just going, she works at a nonprofit. Okay. That checks a certain stereotype in my mind. Okay. She's in fundraising. That checks a certain stereotype. In politics, as you know, we often say, if you're not telling your own story, someone's telling it for you. Right. And if someone's telling your story for you, the odds of them getting it right are like in the basement.
0: So from what I'm hearing, you're saying frame your skills in the way that you want to be seen regardless of industry, right? Lead with your transferable skills from industry to industry, yes?
1: Absolutely. And in mission, so I have mission-driven and then there's a mission-driven handbook and I don't remember which of the books that it's in, but I have some samples of resumes where I did this. And this is mission-driven is for people going from corporate to nonprofit work, but it's the same idea, which is you are more than your tax identification. Yeah. So present yourself as such.
0: I love that. We have a conversation, I think it was actually a webinar I did, I'll link to in today's show notes about writing a skills-based resume, which can really help when you're navigating an industry shift. But beyond sort of the practical and tactical nitty gritty on how to frame yourself, what I'm hearing, which is such a refreshing reminder for our listeners here, is they're not that different. Like don't wrap your entire identity around an industry label, right? Like we are all talented people who can provide skills and and support to different industries regardless of tax status and let's not get too bogged down in their differences. They're they're more alike than they are dissimilar. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Absolutely. If you're able to manage a project, yeah, you can manage a project. I love it.
0: And I think it's a solid reminder not to be intimidated to make that transition. So tell me a little bit about where Limitless comes in on this front in terms of helping people get out of their own way when it comes to their own identity that might be making them think, I can't change. I can't make this change. I'm already, you know, an object in motion, remaining in motion, headed down this path I've built for the past 25 years. How do I get beyond that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the way to get beyond that is to ask the question, is this path that I've built and that I'm on serving me? Mm. Right? Is it making me happy? Look, we all have one big juicy life on this planet, right? <laughs> That's it. We got one. Yeah. What are you going to do with it? Right? Like I intend to suck the marrow out of every single day. <laughs> and you know, people say to me like, oh like uh, you know, before we before we started recording, you commented on this, you know, crazy yes. 17 times up the Mountain Endurance event that I did. Okay, wait, And tell you- everybody what the hell that was cuz it was wild. <laughs> I watched it so on Instagram. I was like, what the hell is she doing? <laughs> So it's called 29029 Everesting. And the idea is that you climb a mountain enough time so you get to 29,029 feet, which is the height of Everest. And now I didn't tell anybody- All in one day, anybody, all in one go, yes. Well, you get 36 hours to do okay. it, right? And I didn't tell anybody about it ahead of time because I was kind of embarrassed. <laughs> like I signed up with a friend of mine and I was like, I don't know, this kind of feels like a rich person boondoggle glamping sort of thing. And <laughs> I have friends who have actually climbed real Mount Everest, you know, So, like, I feel a little bit like stupid. So, I didn't really train. I didn't really show up with the right gear. And oh my God, was I wrong? Wow. (laughs) So, there are 235 people who signed up and 130 of us finished. Now, 25% overall were women. So, women, sign up for this stuff. Come on, let's go. Of the 130 or so who finished, like 30 of them were like former Navy SEALs, former NFL players, like professional ultra marathon runners. The only guy who's ever run all the way across the Saharan Desert. The guy who holds the world record for solo expedition across Antarctica. I mean, they were like legit athletes. right? And then there were people like me, right? Who <laughs> <laughs> like showed up. Now, I'm pretty fit for a 48-year-old. I'm fitter now than I was when I was 38. Amazing. But I, I, like, this is what I learned about endurance events. You have to have a certain baseline level of fitness. But beyond the baseline level of fitness, it really comes down to managing your hydration, managing your nutrition, and just managing the clock. Like it is just a math problem, and you have 36 hours to do this math problem. So even if you're slow like me, slow at math, you can figure this out. And so I met really interesting people on this hike and along the way. And like Jesse Itzler, who was the founder of Marquee Jets um, and Zico Water, who's married to Sarah Blakely, oh, yeah. was one of the founders of this event. So like we hiked the was mountain together. He's also a fitness like, nut for the record, but yes. He's also a fitness nut, right? So I was hiking with him and I was like, it was, it, there were just like, Lewis Howes was like on the mountain so with us. So It becomes like a professional networking opportunity as you're- Totally. <laughs> because here's why. Like when you go and you do a marathon, the yeah. people who are fast- take off and they're gone and you never see them again. Like they're like showering and like eating barbecue by the time you're like at, you know, the halfway mark, like they're, they're, they're done. This is like, you go around and around and around. So, you know, like Rachel Hollis did it in, in Utah a couple months ago. Like if you're on the mountain with them, you actually hang out with them because you're like passing each other back and forth 17 times. Yeah. So it actually becomes this fascinating professional development. That's hilarious. Event. I think I sold 15 books on the mountain because you know, <laughs> there's like, oh, what do you do? What do you do? So, you know, I mean, they were the hardest books I ever sold. Right. I
2: was going to say, <laughs> oh
0: my goodness. That's it was so a really
1: interesting thing. And when I got home, people were like, why did you do that crazy thing? And I was like, well, Why not? Right. I went to the very edge of my incompetence. Mm -hmm. And then I saw that I could go a little further, that I actually had another gear. I actually had another chapter. I could actually go, my my story didn't end where I thought my story ended. And so why not? The one thing I would push back on, I love that question, first of all. Why not? And why not me,
0: as Mindy Colling put it in her great book on this similar subject matter? But sometimes I think people struggle with the answer, which is I'm really grateful for what I already have, and I'm afraid to lose it. I'm afraid that making a change that I think is a change for the better could in fact result with losing something I have, right? There's that loss aversion principle of psychology that we would much rather keep something we already have than gain something new and better. There is an inherent underlying fear that keeps us from trying new things if we feel like we're putting our livelihood or the things we've already fought so hard for at risk. So how do you overcome that?
1: Okay, so this is where I can talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is the side quest. Okay, now, do you play video games?
0: Uh, I used to. I love me some okay. Mario
1: Kart and, and sixty four okay. days. I don't play. I don't play video games. But as I mentioned, I have a fifteen year old and a seventeen year old. Right. My seven year old son is a video game player, <laughs> and there was. A day that I was, I don't know, bemoaning the fact that I got a bad night of sleep and I had a chapter due to my publisher and how was I going to get this done and it was going to be terrible and my day was a total loss. (laughs) It was 8 a.m. in the morning. I'm like, this day is is ruined. It's over. My son was like, well, why don't you just go on a side quest? And I was like, well, what the hell is a side quest? And he goes, okay, you know when I play video games and like the idea of the game is to like get to the castle, slay the dragon and save the princess, like that's the main quest? Because sometimes you know, I can't quite log in to my computer because, you know, you're lecturing me about something or I'm doing the dishes or right, whatever. Right. So like I, my friends are waiting for me to, to sign on or like I'm waiting for them to sign on. And in that case, you kind of hang out and you go on side quests. Side quests are not your main quest, but they're related to your hmm. main quest. And he goes, "So what do I do? I'm a farmer. You know, I plant my wheat. I till, you know, I till the seeds. I, <laughs> what the I, hell I, kind I of video it.
0: games are kids playing these days? I not like it.
1: adventure <laughs> games, right? So he's like, he's like, so here's what we do: we take the wheat to the market. I sell the wheat. I get some money in exchange for the money. I'm able to get, you know, a horse and a sword and potions and blah 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 I blah. I love it. So that when my, you know, friends finally sign on or I finally sign on, we're all ready to go on the main quest to go to the castle, slay the dragon and save the princess. He's like, so if you can't write the chapter today, are there things that you can do that are along the way that will help you? Like, can you just spend the day doing research and reading yeah. some articles? Ooh, that would can you make tracks. some phone calls? Can you like have an informational interview? Can you do, you know, can you have conversations with people? Can you reach out to the graphic designer about what the cover of the book might look like? He's like, what are the side quests that you can do that continue to push forward? So if when people are like, I don't know if I can take the big chance, I'm afraid mm. to lose what I have. Mm. I think there are a, t- ton of side quests that we can do, whether it's Having an informational interview, watching a TEDx talk, reading a book, listening to, you know, the New Yorker radio hour, just, you know, doing some sort of research that at least gives you more information so that if the time comes when you have that moment of rage and you're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm now in a place of discomfort. I absolutely positively have to make a change. Right. You actually have some errors in your quiver because you tilled your <laughs> wheat and you went to the market and you sold it and there you go. I, so I love this metaphor. the side quest is the way to
0: deal with it. I love it. Also, I love your children. They're brilliant. And that would stop <laughs> me in my at my at my morning <laughs> freak out. I love that. First of all, you've been so generous with your time already. I, I have to wrap it up at this point, but I, I want to just underscore the side quest concept. I love thinking about the minimizing the differences between the different industries and not holding yourself back because asking yourself why not can get you out of stagnation and into exploration. What last words might you have for today's listener as to where they can find out more about your excellent work, where they can learn more about Limitless
1: and any last words of advice you'd want to make sure they have? Sure. So three things. The first is if they were like, wait, calling, connection, contribution, control, I got to figure out what I care about. You know, How do I care about these things? They can go to limitlessassessment.com. And I'll say that again for the commuters, limitlessassessment.com. And you can take a quiz. It takes about 20 minutes. It's kind of intense because if you've been listening, you know I'm kind of intense, but it's your (laughs) life, right? So you should be intense about it. Limitlessassessment.com and it'll take you through each of the four areas of calling, connection, contribution, and control. We'll tell you exactly how much of each you have in your life right now and how much of each you want to have and where they are not in consonance. You'll get some really quick tips about how to, you know, steps you can take today to try to get your life more in consonance. That's the first. The second is, All of my good friends call me LGO, so I'm on all the socials at HeyLGO, like, Hey, (laughs) LGO. And shortcut to my website is HeyLGO.com. And then my book, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, anywhere fine books are sold. Excellent. I love it. I will drop links to all of those wonderful things in today's show notes
0: as well. LGO, thanks for uh, stopping by the Bossed Up podcast. It's been a total delight.
1: Thank you, Emily. It's been super fun. And I am anything that gets more women to be bosses is, is I'm all for it. And now it's time for today's boss move moment of the week.
2: Hey, Emily, my name is Anna and I'm from Maine and I've really been enjoying your podcast. And I've also enjoyed your previous podcast too. My boss move is that this year I had my second child and I was really looking for some more flexibility At work, I currently work for the federal government, which is not known for being flexible. And they said I could not work a part-time schedule. It was just not an option, basically. So I started looking around for part-time positions and going kind of slowly. And then I reached out to my network of, you know, professional contacts. And I ended up landing a job that's within my field. That's three days a week, which is exactly what I wanted. And my salary is going to be more per hour than what I'm making now. And I'm really excited that everything kind of come together. And I think that listening to a podcast really helped me out and build up my courage. So thanks a lot. Hell
0: yeah, Anna. I am so happy for you, boss. and so proud that you gained the courage to ask for what you really need. That is what negotiation is all about. And that's what even beginning... The job search is about. It is so easy to get complacent and feel like the way things are are the way how things have to keep being. And just to push against that belief and make those first steps and take action to improve your life and career... It just brings me such joy. So thank you so much for calling this boss move in. If you have a boss move to share, we're currently asking you to think about what has been your biggest, boldest, most badass boss move of the year. I wanna feature you and your beautiful voice on an upcoming episode. So call your boss move in right now to get it in before the end of 2019, before the end of the decade, y'all. The number to call is 910-668-BOSS. That's 2677. Seven. What a lovely note to end on. I'm just so pumped for you. And you were calling that in in your boss move just reminds me of what I started this whole thing for to begin with. To give women, and myself included, to be honest, the audacity to get clear on what would make our lives and careers better, to go out there and ask for it, and if we can't get it where we're at, to go find it. So thank you for just demonstrating what it means to be bossed up. You're just such an embodiment of that. I'm really hyped right now. So thanks for ending my week on a high note as I record this on, uh, on Friday before the episode comes out. Bosses, I am so excited for all that is going to come our way in 2020. I've got high hopes, high ambitions for all y'all and for all of us to keep bossing and keep working together. So thank you in advance for sharing today's episode with the women in your world who you know could use it. And in the meantime, until next time, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll lift as we climb.